Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is February 12th. We're going to wonder what the Green Bay Packers have to do to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Talk about an incredible Tyler Cole game in Marquette's victory over St. John's. Then give some grades. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks big week. We'll talk about how they got off the schneid against the Charlotte Hornets. And that will be today's show. Uh, before we get going, social media, Tabby the Keg on Twitter slash X, uh, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Make sure you're following along wherever you can. Facebook also, the same handle. Uh, if you're a Marquette fan, we are on the PSF app. I will be doing a live stream for the Butler game on Tuesday. And then I actually think I'm going to do the UConn game as well on fr- on Saturday. Um, that one I actually probably will be more as the co-pilot, uh, Josh, who's a great, uh, Josh Pack, I believe is what his name is on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him. He will be kind of my co-host and I'm going to probably let Josh drive uh, because I'm going to be pretty busy. So I might have to duck in and out uh, just as I'm getting ready to go, which brings on a, another announcement. Uh, so I'm going to be out of, out of the country for two weeks. I'm going to Portugal. Um, I'm going to try my damnedest to give you guys some additional content. I am going to have a podcast on Monday. It will recap basically Marquette UConn. That will really be all of it. (laughs) That will be the podcast. It'll just be 30 minutes about me uh, talking about Marquette UConn. And that will be the show. And then I want to have a podcast. If this all works out, I have no idea if it will. A lot to do here this week. But I would love to have a podcast, at least two more the following week, and then the following week after, I uh, have three. So can I get five podcasts on? That seems a little aggressive, maybe more like three or four. Um, but I will try to have some content for you. It'll obviously be evergreen. And then we'll be back at it uh, Monday the 3rd, and we'll, uh, we'll get ready to go. We'll get closer to March Madness. We'll get closer to baseball season. Um, the draft will start to hum. Murph and I will have to figure out when we're going to do our draft stuff, which uh, you know we love doing. We had the Carl Brooks thing last year. Um, so I, I will get all of that in place. And then I won't leave you guys pretty much until late May, I believe. So you're in good hands. And I, I will also give Mitchie the option if he wants to tape anything um, during those two weeks. He certainly can, whether with Murph or with Shea Ken or somebody else like we certainly can can look into that. So uh, more to come, uh, but yeah, we will uh, just want to let everybody know, I will probably do a truncated version of this uh, all this week to let you all uh, keep you informed. Um, and then shows this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, probably. Um, and so that will be, that's kind of what we're looking at this week, um, similar to what we've been doing. Um, and yeah, so that'll be, that'll be this week. And yeah, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast, we are there for you. Um, and make sure you're rating and reviewing. And if you've already done all that, make sure you're sending uh, sending us along in the group chat. All right, let's talk about the Super Bowl, the Green Bay Packers, and how they could be the Kansas City Chiefs. The Green Bay Packers fans, I've included myself, watch Kansas City Chiefs, and that's the gold standard. I think every team in the NFL sees that, right? I think a lot of people hate the Chiefs, right, in the AFC whether you're a Bills fan, whether you're a Ravens fan, whether you're even a fan of a rival, so like a Raiders or a Broncos, where you're like, how the fuck are we going to beat these guys, right? How are you going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs? And it's a similar feeling we all had watching the New England Patriots in the 2000s. And we never got to see the Packers versus Patriots because things happened, whether it was Brandon Bostic, whether it was running out of guys. Uh, we never got the joy of seeing the Packers versus the Patriots in the Aaron Rodgers era or in the Brett Favre era. It spanned two eras. What's crazy about the Mahomes era is likely Jordan Love will be the only guy for it. Now, we didn't see Rodgers Mahomes because, again, they came up short in the 2020 uh, NFC Championship game, which if they would have won that game, I'm pretty convinced they beat the Kansas City Chiefs and win the Super Bowl. And then there's so many things that changed from there. Um, But that is maybe to me the number one Wisconsin sports hypothetical. But now you look at the Chiefs and you're like, all right, how do we be this team? How can we emulate the Chiefs? Can we get to a dynasty? A dynasty 
is really hard in professional sports, in any sport, and especially with the parity of the leagues, with just the amount of unpredictability that goes on. Um, it, it's really hard to achieve that dynasty. But the Kansas City Chiefs have done it, and it'll be very interesting to see if they can sustain it, right? Um, because there were lean years with the Patriots where they won a bunch early on. They won those three out of four early on in Tom Brady's career. And then the middle part of that dynasty, quote unquote, just didn't exist. And the Patriots would come back to life in the second half sort of of Brady's career. The Patriots had a lot of postseason struggles because the target on their back was so massive that teams finally started to achieve success over them. You had the Colts, uh, Peyton Manning, you had the Ravens get a couple. And so it sort of just all flipped. So with the Packers, they are obviously, you know, trying to get back to the playoffs. They haven't been to the playoffs now, in the, or they were there last year, sorry. Uh, but they haven't been to the Packer playoffs in back-to-back -back years since 2020 and 2021. Uh, the Packers haven't been to a Super Bowl since 2010. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 2010. They've had a lot of, lot of limited success in the championship round. Um, that, that is all known. That is all there. And to be the Chiefs, obviously, one of the things that helps is having the best quarterback in football. Patrick Mahomes is as good as it gets. I mean, watching Mahomes yesterday was a fucking delight. Um, I've grown to appreciate Patrick Mahomes a little bit more. Um, I always liked Patrick Mahomes. Um, I never really had a problem with Patrick Mahomes because again, he's not in our division. So I don't have to, or our conference, I don't have to worry about Patrick Mahomes, but watching him just sort of navigate that game yesterday was excellent. And just the way that he was able to sort of do the things that he was supposed to do down the stretch and find the right guy and running the football. Like I told my dad, I was with, I watched the game with my parents and I said to my dad, I'm like, you got to run the ball here with Mahomes on that fourth and one in the overtime period. And sure enough, they drew, drew up a great option play where if they would have attacked Mahomes, he had Travis Kelsey right there. And basically it was like, you, you didn't know what to do. Right. And I hope Matt LaFleur took that down and it's like, all right, we're going to run that next year. But can you be the Chiefs without having Mahomes? I think you can if you have a top five guy. I, I, I really do. And I think Jordan Love can get to being a top five quarterback. I don't think he's there yet. I think he's certainly a top 10. I think the hype around Jordan Love will be massive next year. I think the hype around the Packers will be massive next year. I think the Packers are going to have to deal with that. And I, I think that's going to be a big talking point that we're going to talk about a lot next summer is how do the Packers handle sort of the pressure of being now the hunted? And we, we've discussed this with other teams, right? Marquette a little bit, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks even, uh, after they'd won the championship. This has been an ongoing discussion, and I think it happens in sports a ton. But I, I don't think sometimes people talk about it enough because it's, it's hard to quantify, right? And will the Packers, you know, be comfortable with that? Will the camaraderie we saw of last year still be there? I like, you know, this was all new and fresh for so many people last year, and now it'll be different. Is there going to be a disease of me? I, I don't know. I hope not. But I think that's the part of going back to how do you be the Chiefs? The Chiefs don't really have that disease of me. When they have guys who are me first guys, they get rid of them. They've won two Super Bowls now without Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is arguably one of the best receivers in football. They told him to get the fuck out because he was not about Chiefs football. And they got rid of him and they are still thriving. And to me, that says so much about what they've built and how they've developed. And so while Mahomes is extremely important to what you're doing, I think it's the infrastructure that you really need to look at as you know an organization and say, all right, we need that, we want that. I think you know part of their success has been their consistency in their coaching staff. I think Andy Reid obviously has been there for a long time and Andy Reid has established himself now as one of the greatest coaches in the NFL. Um, you know, and 
this guy who was considered a choker uh, in Philadelphia, who lost the Super Bowl, who lost NFC Championship games, who had mind-numbing decisions, uh, who got made fun of first clock management. Um, there's so many things about Andy Reid, you know, early on in his career, and he's completely done a 180. And that shows you that people can change. It shows you people can learn. Andy Reid hasn't really changed per se. He's still a pretty conservative coach. Like, think about the six seconds left to go in the fourth quarter. They take the field goal. I think some coaches would have tried to get one more play in. And Andy Reid's like, no, we're, we're going to take the field goal. We're going to trust that it's going to work. And so Andy Reid looks at it and says, all right, we have this. We, we believe in this. And, and we're gonna, we know we can win this in overtime. And Andy Reid, you know, sticks to his guns and it typically works. And they figure out ways. They find ways to work with the team they have. And I think that's the thing that Andy Reid is probably the best at is he's very malleable as a head coach. He doesn't try to fit a square, hole, square peg into a round hole. He basically expands, you know, whatever peg he needs for that NFL season. So I think that part's great. I think the fact that Steve Spagnola has been there forever has also really helped. And I think you know exactly what that defense is. And Spags runs his defense no matter what. He is not going to change. He, you know, the Trent McDuffie blitz on third down when, you know, Brock Purdy needed to have the first was so good uh, right after a two-minute warning to lead to a field goal by the uh, the San Francisco 49ers and that was that was all of it they shut it down like they were like nope we are not allowing this to happen we are shutting this down and that was Spagnola being a you know absolute dog and that's kind of what he's been as a defensive coordinator but they've had him for so long so hopefully and we'll see that Jeff Halfley can be that guy for the Green Bay Packers that Jeff Halfley is our version of Spags and that he's here for a long time and that he can sort of continue to have that that mentality and that drive and I don't I think it helps too that no one really wants him to be a head coach he had a really unsuccessful head coaching run with the St. Louis Rams at the time I think it was two years it was an absolute clusterfuck and then he people are just convinced he's just a defensive coordinator and he's been excellent you know in that role that obviously is something you'd have to worry about with Halfley because, you know, he was a pretty solid coach at BC. And if he does well as the Packers defensive coordinator, I guarantee you people will come knocking. So I think you have to, again, establish sort of the fundamentals and the infrastructure so that even if Jeff Halfley leaves, that there, that is going to be there. I think another part of the Chiefs is they always seem to solve their problems. So it's like, all right, we have an issue. We're going to fix it. Lat two years ago, it's like, all right, we don't have an offensive line. We don't. We just have. We our offensive line is fucking terrible. They went into the offseason. They paid uh, Joe Tooney. They got guys in the draft. They kept paying guys to you know figure out how do we sort of offset what's been going on, and they've fixed their offensive line. Their offensive line struggled early on in that game, but guess what? They made adjustments and figured it out. And they said, all right, we're going to plug that problem. Then the other part of it was like, we're deep, we're, our defense has always been an issue. Like the Chiefs defense was always sort of middle of the road. They, were, they had some big name guys. They had some big, big name players who'd make big time plays. But they didn't necessarily have, again, the youth that they needed. And, and now they've drafted so well defensively that they are now set up perfectly, right? You have Trent McDuffie, who was a first round pick. You have uh, Nick, Nick Bolton, who I think was a second round pick. Willie Gay, who was a second round pick. Uh, you know, they have all of these younger guys now who are starting to hit their stride in their NFL career. Sounds familiar to the Green Bay Packers, right? And so they've, they've seemingly always sort of fixed their problems and got guys too that fit the system. Right? I think that also is important. They are guys that fit Steve Spagnuolo's system. And then lastly is they have constants. They have guys who are always reliable. 
And obviously it starts with Mahomes, but it's not just Mahomes. It's Travis Kelsey, right? It's Chris Jones, who might not be there next year, but it's Chris Jones. It's Harrison Bucker. Like all of those guys are so important to what the Chiefs have done. And that's where I I look at it and like, as much as you want to say, well, how do you be the Chiefs? It's Mahomes. It's not just Mahomes. It's all of these things. It's the infrastructure. It's the consistency in coaching staff. It's the having these type of guys that always seem to make big plays. Travis Kelsey was dormant through most of this game. And guess what? He finishes with, I think, nine catches and 80, like 85, 80, you know, 90 yards. Like, that's incredible. And you can rag on how Travis Kelsey, you know, the Viva Las Vegas, and he's just being maybe, maybe the ultimate tool. But again, he shows up when it matters the most. Kelsey had nine catches for 93 yards. And again, he was completely dormant early on in this football game. Harrison Bucker, who like, yeah, you're like, oh, kicker's mad. Four for four for field goals. 57 was his long. He had 13 total points in this game. Harrison Bucker is probably the best kicker in football right now over Justin Tucker. Like having the best kicker in football matters. We saw it with Anders Carlson, right? Like, and then Chris Jones, Chris Jones disrupted a Josh Allen touchdown that Josh Allen, if he throws that touchdown, who knows if the Chiefs even make it here, right? Are we talking about a Bills Super Bowl? Are we talking about the San Francisco 49ers? We might be, right? Or the Baltimore Ravens for that matter. But Chris Jones disrupts that play. Chris Jones disrupted a Brock Purdy play where Brock Purdy probably has a touchdown. They had to settle for a field goal. And they and, and that was another instance. Oh no, I think they might have went for it. But regardless, Chris Jones disrupts at least one big potential pass play a game, if not more. And so I, I think that's the part that the Packers and really everybody else needs to look at. How do you find those constants? It's not just your quarterback. It's like the four to five guys that you can always rely on to make big plays that are not going to get small, that are going to be sort of always there for you. And so I, I think the Packers have a lot of talent. It's just a matter, can they show up every game? So football is now over. Uh, that It's always sad. It's always sad when football's over. I don't like cry about it as much as others because I love all sports. So, you know, college basketball starting right now is, you know, great for some people. But for me, I've been watching a ton and we're gonna talk about Marquette here momentarily. Um, and you have the NBA with the Bucks and a lot of storylines in the NBA, a lot of unpredictability. I feel like, and weirdly, you know, the NFL has always talked about themselves as this parody, you know, or where they really aren't, right? Because you've had the Chiefs, you've had the Patriots before that. I feel like the NBA is as unpredictable as ever. You could tell me eight teams, I think, win a championship, and I probably believe you. Um, including our Bucks, who I think some people would say that's that's biased, but I, I truly do mean that. Uh, I'm not as big of a hockey fan, but I'm sure that there are hockey storylines to talk about, and it'll be okay. Golf is as weird as it's been in a long time, right? So I think that you're gonna you'll get through it, right? You have the NFL draft soon enough. It's a it'll be an important draft for the Packers, not as important as last year, but you'll be filling up the gaps. You'll be plugging the holes, right? And you will try to get to the mountaintop for the first time since 2010. That's now 14 years. It's been a while for the Green Bay Packers. Yet, I think what you, you can confidently say about this team is this is probably one of their best opportunities in the last, gosh, you know, 14 years. The question is, is can you stop the three-peat? Can you stop the dynasty? That is something the Packers might be faced with. And we'll see if they're up for the challenge. Moving on to college basketball and Marquette. Marquette had a great win on Saturday against St. John's. They went 86 to 75. And if you look at that score, you're like, oh, it wasn't close. Marquette, you know, basically was able to take control and beat St. John's, cover the spread, the whole thing. No, <laughs> that, was, that was not the case. Um, 
this was a masterclass by Tyler Kolick. I know that the term masterclass gets overused just like, oh, that wasn't on my bingo card. Like, I, I know it, it's an overused term. I know it's a fail-safe for a lot of podcasters and a lot of, you know, tweeters, if you will. But that was a masterclass. That is literally, you look it up in the dictionary of what is a basketball, college basketball masterclass. Tyler Kolick against St. John's would be there. 27 points, 13 assists, 17, seven rebounds. That's 17. That would have been impressive. But the guy was out of his fucking mind in the second half. Uh, I have never, I, I can't remember seeing a guy in that much control of a basketball game in the second half. Um, it was an absolute joy to watch. He was making all the right reads. He had five made threes in this basketball game. He basically got Marquette back into this basketball game. You know, they were down nine at halftime uh, or 10. They're down nine or 10 at halftime. It didn't exactly look good. Uh, things were were kind of trending in the wrong direction. Uh, the set, the first half start was pretty pathetic in terms of just Marquette basically did not show up defensively and let St. John's do whatever the hell they wanted. And it almost was like Marquette expected St. John's to just lay down. Like, all right, hey, it's National Marquette Day. We need to win so we can go out and party. So please, can you just let us win this game? And St. John's like, dude, we're on the fucking bubble. And they did not. And they were prepared. They had adjustments from the last game. And St. John's came out firing. Then the second half, St. John's went to more of a man to try to slow down Marquette as as the run was starting, as the avalanche was beginning. And as Tyler Kolok was quoted after the game, it was like bar barbecue chicken out there. And a reporter asked, what does that mean? He's like, you got to look it up in Urban Dictionary. Kolok talked about it that basically it's like when a player is too slow guarding you in basketball, it's like you can eat a plate of barbecue chicken before he catches up. Tyler Kolok is an excellent sort of, you love him if he's on your team and you probably hate him if he, he's not on your team. And that's, uh, that's an absolute joy that he's on my side because I'm telling you, even if he annoys you with some of his comments, some of the you know fist pumping, chest pumping sort of shit, like you will not see a better point guard in college basketball. He The way that he controlled that basketball game and that he made it more cut, he refused to lose in that second half. They were not losing that basketball game. Tyler Kulik made fucking sure of it. And I can't really remember a Marquette player kind of like that. Like, like, guys had spurts, right? Like, Jerome McNeil had that a little bit. Uh, Dominique James had a little bit of that. Um, I'm trying to think other other guys that Dwayne obviously had some moments like that. But there were, there were, there were only a little examples of, like, that sort of refused to lose sort of mentality and then just being able to take control of an entire game. I, I probably am discrediting Wade a little bit more. Like Wade, Wade certainly had it. Wade certainly had those moments. But I, I'm just saying like the way that Kolek played on Saturday was an absolute joy and just in complete control. And the, the pass he made Stevie Mitchell where he wrapped it around two guys was unbelievable was as good of a pass as you'll see. The three that he hits to be the dagger for Marquette was fan-fucking-tastic. And I was in the stands, and maybe it's because I've been watching a lot of Ted Lasso, but I was like, it had to be Tyler Kolick. It had to, like, very European soccer-esque. But it did. It, like, it had to be him. And so I think the wizardry of Tyler Kolick just makes you believe that this Marquette team can reach heights that we haven't seen since 2003. And if Tyler Kolick stays healthy, and remember, he was hurt last March. People like to kind of memory hold that, that Tyler Kolick didn't have a thumb injury. Like he was banged up in that Vermont game. He was banged up in that Michigan State game. And he did not have a great tournament. And the moment got a little big for him, but also he had a pretty significant injury that like thumb injuries for point guards is not exactly what you want, right? So as long as Tyler Kulik can stay healthy, and that's a if, right? He does get nicks and bruises here and there, but as long as Tyler Kulik is playing at this level, I mean, the sky's the limit for Marquette. 
This is an open season. Yes, Purdue is very good. Yes, Kansas is all right, who they've already beat, mind you. And yes, they did lose to Purdue, but they only lost by three points to Purdue. Uh, North Carolina is a really solid basketball team. Houston is at, has just a ton of dogs, and they're really good. Like they had, there are good teams, right? But Marquette is among them. They're probably going to be a top five basketball team next week, and it's going to be a top five showdown in UConn with a game against Butler looming before that, which scares the living shit out of me. But I, I do think that having a guy like Kolek. And everybody sort of rallying around that is what you need. And all Tyler Kolick needs is one other guy. He needs sort of that guitarist, if you will, right? He's the lead singer, but he needs that guitarist. And it doesn't have to be the same guy. Sometimes it's also a guitar. Yesterday it was Stevie Mitchell. Like Stevie Mitchell to me was as important to what Kolick did than anybody else. And so it's like, all right, as long as I have one guy, to sort, and it could be David Joplin, it could be Cam Jones. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the same guy every time. But as long as someone else is there, sky's the limit, man. And it was just such a, a fun second half, and just one of the better. It was a great basketball game in general. Like it was like back and forth, shot for shot for a long time, and then that last four minutes, Marquette was able to sort of pull away, and the Chase Ross dunk which was a pass from Kolek was unfucking, and again, another just unbelievable moment. And I would recommend if you're like, you hadn't watched the game, like go back and watch that second half. If you're, you think I'm underselling what Tyler Kolek did, because yeah, it, to me, like there've been a lot of great Tyler Kolek games, but this is to me clearly his best. And just such a special moment, just given that's National Marquette Day, an absolutely bonkers crowd. Um, it was so drunk in there. Um, and he just lived up to that moment. He lived up to that hype and brought Marquette back from the dead. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see what's next here as we're about a month away from the NCAA tournament. We're a month away from the bracket. And I feel as good as I have about Marquette all season. Let's do grades from the game. We do this after most Marquette games. I would say not all of them, but we do we do make sure that we talk about, you know, the different parts of the game and what stood out, what didn't. And as for an A, obviously Tyler Kolek, right? <laughs> we just talked about him for nine minutes or eight minutes or whatever, maybe. But yeah, Tyler Kolek, uh, definite A. Uh, other A to Stevie Mitchell, uh, as I said, the guitarist of the game. Uh, he had 14 points. He made two threes. He had a couple big free throws uh, late for Mitchell. Um, yeah, he just, he continues to play really well for Marquette. And he's been, to me, he's been the Omax this year. And I know that that's weird, right? Because we all were like, who's going to be the, like David Joplin has to be the Omax of, of this season. And but I, I think what you look at Joplin's size and you're like, all right, that's how he's he's Omax because Omax is a taller guy. But I think what was what was lost on people maybe with Omax, and I would put myself include myself in this, was Omax was a guy who just could always get you a bucket, right? Who just always seemingly found a way to get the ball and score. And just, you know, when you needed it. And that's kind of what Stevie Mitchell has become. And Stevie Mitchell has been the guy where you need a big bucket, Stevie Mitchell is going to deliver. Stevie Mitchell is somehow going to find the ball in his hand. I agree with the paint touches guys who say Stevie Mitchell is not a glue guy anymore. I 100% agree with that. I, I think he has elevated himself beyond just glue guy status and a vital contributor. But yeah, I think the production that we've seen from Stevie Mitchell and the play from Stevie Mitchell has been great. I mean, the three-point shot has been... You know, I, I think a huge revelation too. He's just shooting the ball so much better. They've worked with him on sort of getting that arch on his three-point shot, and it's starting to really pay off for him. Uh, he's he's still only shooting 26% from three, which kind of feels wild. Um, but I'm telling you, it, it's been a lot better. And he seemingly has those games where he can make, you know, two threes. You know, they, he two is kind of the max 
that you see from Stevie Mitchell. But again, in big games, it has happened. Creighton, two, that Creighton win, he had two threes made. He made two threes in this game. He hit a big three against Seton Hall in their in their blowout win. Like he has the ability to sort of be that guy. And so, yeah, I I really like what I've seen from Stevie Mitchell so far uh, this year, and he's just had a great year. Uh, also, the second half adjustments. I mean, Nevada Smith, Shaka Smart, uh, these guys just have really found a way to make those adjustments for the second half. And they did a great job, you know, basically slowing down St. John's. St. John's had such a big half. You know, Marquette was down 15 at one point, 45 to 30. Um, and St. John's just blitzed Marquette early on. And then Marquette took it all away from them in the second half. And in that last 10, 10 minutes of the game, St. John's only scored 10 points. Uh, it was their lowest output. Marquette outscored them by 12. They outscored them by eight in the you know first part. And they kind of just completely flipped the game you know on its head. And Part of that was the second half adjustments on both sides of the court, right? On offense as well as on defense. And that that's a huge credit to what Shaka and the guys can do. Uh, another A to three-point shooting, Marquette was 14 of 27 from three. They were 51%, you know, from that area. Obviously, Cola contributed to that, but they had multiple guys with, you know, multiple three-point makes. Joplin, Stevie Mitchell, Chase Ross, uh, ben Gold, like they all made, you know, two threes in this game. And I, when you're shooting 14 to 27, that's how you can come back. I mean, they were good from inside the arc too. They were 59%. Like they really sort of, it was all that second half. That second half was just night and day. Um, whether it was they were too tight, whether they sort of just bought into sort of the pomp and circumstance of it all. But yeah, that the three points barrage from Marquette in that second half was excellent. And they found the opportunity there with that St. John's defense. The crowd, I said, was, you know, it, it was top tier. It was so loud in there to start the game. It was, you know, it got just progressively louder in that second half and just everybody was full throat. Uh, that was about as exciting, I think, as I can remember you know, a sort of second half and just everything, you know, falling for Marquette and just the loudness of it all. And yeah, people were great. Um, that was a excellent crowd uh, for that. And it's kind of sad too. I realized this yesterday, that'll be the last Saturday game of the season for Marquette. That's kind of an F in its own right. Maybe a D. Like they have a weekend game against Xavier, but that's a Sunday, I think at four o'clock which is a weird time, right? Because it's like late in the day Sunday. So you can't even really make an excuse to be like, all right, yeah, let's let's have a few beers and, you know, Sunday fun day sort of thing. It's like, that's the end of, like, that's the, end of the Sunday fun day. Usually parts of Sunday fun day is like, it's over at six o'clock because you got to get ready for work the next day. Um, the Yukon games on a Wednesday, which is such a bummer. Like, I hate that so much. Like that should be Saturday the ninth. It should be the last game of the Big East season. It should be seven o'clock on Fox. Like there is no reason that game should be on a Wednesday. That's such bullshit. I, I also say that as someone who's going to be there, but like we should be able to have as many beers as we want. And, and you still could, right? If you wanted to, but it's a Wednesday night. So that the fact that Marquette is not at home on a Saturday for the rest of the year is, is a crying shame. Um, I know I'm doing this out of order, but it's it, it just worth pointing out with after the crowd because not getting that is is highway robbery. Um, B to Chase Ross. I thought Chase Ross was excellent off the bench. Uh, his offensive rating, I think, was like 200. It was crazy. Yeah, 207 over 100 in the 25 minutes that he played. He had eight points, uh, also grabbed three boards, two assists. Uh, was just a really vital contributor on both sides of the ball uh, in his 25 minutes. And it was a balanced approach. You know, you had Stevie with 26, Cam with 25, Ross with 25. And I think they used those guys really well interchangeably. And Ross took advantage of his moments. Um, and he played really well in this game and continues to look 
strong, you know, out of the injury that he suffered, right? He didn't have the greatest game against Georgetown, but he had a good game against Villanova and a good game against St. John's. I think you'll take that. You'll get him for that Butler game. Remember, they lost and they didn't have Chase. That was the first game. I think the first, no, second, yeah, the first game without Chase Ross. So that will be, that'll be great to have him. And you'll see, hopefully see some impact there and hopefully help out, you know, against that Butler team that they had already lost to. Oso Yudar is also B, so you might be looking at his stat line and be like, oh, Oso struggled, you know, nine points. But I feel like you gotta kind of peel back the onion here. He had nine rebounds, he had four assists, he also had two blocks. He had a huge dunk uh, late in the game over, I think, like two guys. But also you look at Joel Soriano and Zubi Ejafor's numbers uh, who played 30 minutes of the game and they were two of the big men, 6'11", 6'9". They were a combined three of nine from the field. They scored a total of seven points. Ujifor really dominated the offensive glass and the offensive rebounds were an issue, which we can talk about here momentarily. But I, I think that, you know, they also did a pretty good job on both of those guys defensively and definitely deserves, you know, credit for that. And even though he didn't score the way we've seen him in other games, he did a lot of the other things and that deserves deserves some love. C to David Joplin. I thought this was an okay Joplin game. He hit some shots, you know, it was 12. He had, I think, 12 points. Yeah, and two made threes. Um, but it wasn't exactly the same kind of Joplin games that we've seen the last few. So still solid game, like still nothing to really bitch about. But it wasn't, it wasn't to the job level that we had seen in the past. And again, going back to that, you just need one guitarist. Like, that's okay. Because, you know, the production was made up by Mitchell. And, you know, again, you know, everyone contributed a little bit. And that was what Joplin did. Uh, a D to Cam Jones. Uh, it was a rough game after, you know, the Georgetown thing. You kind of were like, oh, is a breakout happening? You know, kind of bringing back Joplin. Like, after what Joplin had in DePaul... And Jones didn't really follow up with that. Uh, he had 10 points. He missed five threes. Uh, he did get three, made three free throws, big free throws too. He got followed on a three-point shot, made all three of them during the comeback, had three assists. So it just, it was a little disappointing that Cam Jones couldn't sort of replicate that. And you just hope, you know, maybe it's nerves, maybe it's something else, but hopefully, you know, we start to see that Cam Jones from non-conference come back. You'd really, you'd really love to see that. As for Fs, uh, the, the first half defense was pathetic. Um, giving up 47 points in that first half was jarring. Um, just St. John's basically getting to do whatever they wanted. Uh, you know, a moment in that where you're like, oh, fuck, we're going to get blown out in this game. You know, they were up 15 at one point. Uh, just Marquette did not have an answer for St. John's and came out flat-footed. And... That was a problem for them last year. Uh, it hasn't exactly been a problem. They've started a little slow in certain games and then turned it on as the, the, the first half has went on. I do worry about that, you know, against a team like UConn this next week. Like, if you do that against UConn, you're going to not have any chance in the second half. It's not, it's not even going to be close. Um, but I think that, you know, that's something that Marquette has to focus on. They have to make sure that, how do, you, how do you come out just ready to go from the get-go and make sure that it's not necessarily this game where you have to climb all the way back? It was a problem last year. Hasn't been as much of a problem this year, but it's don't let those demons come back. Uh, the offensive rebounding, speaking of demons, offensive rebounding has not been an issue in terms of giving them, giving them up recently. It was against St. John's. St. John's had 17 offensive rebounds. They had a ton of second-chance points. Uh, especially in that first half. I think they had 17 second chance, second chance points in the second half. It seemed like St. John's got an extra possession every you know every possession down in that first half. And that's something, again, that has to be better for Marquette. Like, they have to get better in terms of that offensive glass. They've, they've had, you know, I think it's, it's gotten better, but it's just a reminder that you got to keep it up every game. That it, you know, every game you know you can have those issues because Marquette is not as big as some of these other teams, and they got dominated in that part of it uh, early on in this basketball game. And then lastly, this is a weird one, but like the freshman development, it's just it's kind of a bummer that Zade Lowry and Trey Norman have not necessarily 
you know, elevated their game this year. Like at this point, I think you'd hope that maybe they were playing, you know, 10 minutes a game, especially with Sean Jones being out, like maybe getting in there a little bit more, but they just, they haven't got there. And I, you know, it's okay. Um, It's not the end of the world, but I don't think you can count on either guy to be a starter next year, can you? Like I just, not to bring it down to a bummer and end this sort of uh, segment, but it's just, it definitely is a little concerning um, that they have not necessarily leveled up. I think the way you'd want them. I think the the encouraging thing is Stevie Mitchell has. He's going to be back next year. Joplin has looked better defensively. Cam Jones has had his moments. Like they'll be okay. They have guys that are you know fully established. Unless you know one goes pro or one goes to the portal. So there is that. But yeah, it's it's definitely a little concerning. Um, but yeah. We'll see what happens now as they go on the road for two. The Butler game, man, is such a look-ahead spot. I hope that the fact that they lost to Butler will be enough to sort of, you know, quell the look-ahead um, with UConn on deck on Saturday um, and put a little damper in that UConn game. That UConn game is still going to be massive, but you're likely looking at a top-five matchup. It's also absurd. It's absurd in two, two fashions. It's absurd that college game day isn't there. That college game day just has to do at ESPN games. They don't do that for college football, but I guess for college basketball, they have to do games that ESPN is featured at. They're going to be at Auburn, Kentucky, which is a big game, right? But it's not as big of a game as, as Marquette, UConn. And it's also absurd that this is not a primetime game. Like 2 o'clock's a nice time for a basketball game, right? But how is this not your primetime game? How is Fox, you know, hypes up Fox Saturday night and this isn't your primetime game for Fox? Fox? Like, what is? I'm trying to see. I don't know. Maybe it's a Caitlin Clark game, which I understand. Like, Caitlin Clark brings ratings. It puts asses in the seats. Like, and if it's a, you know, and, and they're taking full advantage of their Big Ten partnership, which they should. And I'm not, I wouldn't discredit that, but I'm trying to see what that big, what the Fox game is at primetime because that, it makes no sense that it's not Marquette, right? Like, that should be... Oh, it's Michigan and Michigan. It's Michigan, Michigan State. That's right. Why the fuck is it Michigan, Michigan State? Why does the Big Ten have this? Like, it must be part of their deal, but I, I think there has been Big East games. How is it not Wisconsin? How is it not Marquette and UConn? Wow. 15 and 9 Michigan State versus 8 and 16 Michigan. Get the fuck out of here. That, that has ruined my Monday. Uh, I I just remembered that because I saw the graphic. I should have tweeted that out last week. But that's absolutely absurd. Um, so an, an F to its own right. All right, let's wrap up the show with the Milwaukee Bucks. So the losing streak is over for the Milwaukee Bucks. They were able to beat the Charlotte Hornets. They kicked their ass uh, 120 to 84. An absolute dominating win. Uh, for the Bucks, really was over from the start. They were up 66 to 38 at halftime. Uh, the Bucks just in in full control, belt to ass, as Papav likes to say. Papav's impact was felt immediately. The crowd loved Papav. Papav was getting into it with guys on the bench. Um, it, it's exactly what you needed, right? And I don't want to get too. Too hyped, too hyped about it, right? I want to just, you know, watch how it play, plays out. But the early returns were good. And the Bucks definitely needed a game like that. They needed a game where it just all resets. And they're now 2-5 and five under Doc Rivers. We're keeping records of Doc Rivers every game, right? But the, the Bucks didn't play with their food. The Bucks didn't even make this a game. This was their first, like, real dominating victory start to finish probably since that Boston game right and against a bad team probably their first one since the Detroit game in I think that was this like middle of December where it's like all right we're not even no one should be worried right now about this Bucks team and the Bucks absolutely came out and cleaned house and that was such a joy to see and it's not like the Bucks are back it's not like we yes do we still need to see some more here this week absolutely but i think it's an encouraging sign that they didn't let a 
low-level team hang around. And it's like it's fourth quarter and we all have our eyes on it because it's a 10-point game and one big run for the Hornets can make this into a clutch time situation. Everybody got rest. I think that's that was one of the more infuriating things under Adrian Griffin is we have these games against bad teams and Giannis and Dame were still playing 35 minutes, 38 minutes a game because they had to. This game, Giannis played 23 minutes. It had everything you wanted. Bobby Portis looked good. Um, and so whether it was, hey, I'm not getting traded, sort of this relief, right? Like, I feel like the Warriors have played better because they just know no one got traded, right? And they sort of, their team chemistry still is a little fractured, but I think it got better because they were just making sure that, okay, we're all united. And now the Warriors have kind of looked back here in the last week, week plus. And so I, I hope the Bucks can have a good week here. I think that's really more my focus of the segment here today is, all right, what does this week look like? You know, you have the Denver Nuggets now coming into town on Monday. And you played Denver two weeks ago with Doc Rivers. So Doc Rivers has tape. You had two days of practice. Like, I'm not saying you have to beat the Nuggets here. But this is a great opportunity to beat the Nuggets. It's a great opportunity to sort of remind everybody who the fuck you are, right? Like Denver's coming in. I think they also had two nights off. It's their first game of a road trip. I think probably annoying for Denver, right? That they have to go on the road here to finish off the the quote-unquote first half. I know we're well beyond the first half. But Denver, you know, will have to basically be... Oh, no, they, they aren't. They, this is a one-game road trip out to Milwaukee. So that, that maybe is even more annoying for Denver. But Milwaukee has a real opportunity here to sort of, you know, deliver a hammer to the Nuggets and sort of say, all right, we are, we are still a contender. We still can play with you guys. They were, you know, it was a back-and-forth basketball game with those two teams in Denver. You know, there's nothing to say they can't do that again. And Denver as noted, will come in well-rested, right? It, it, it will be a well-rested basketball team and will sort of have that. And, you know, you'll expect this one to be close, but I think there's a reason why the Bucks are slightly slightly favored in this one. And they lost to Sacramento. Uh, so it's technically a three-game road trip, weirdly. So they were in LA and Sacramento, and then they have to fly to Milwaukee just for one game. I can't imagine that will that will be a thing that Denver likes to do, and they've not been a good road team again. They're 15 and 13 on the road. That was an issue for them last year. They kind of figured it out in the playoffs, but the Bucks should have that opportunity. And I, I think as long as you know they sort of play within themselves, and you've had two days of practice to prepare for not only Denver but Miami the following day, like we should see as good of a version of the box as we've seen really in the Doc Rivers era. And I, I think if they get beat by 10 or 11, like that will, that will be a little concerning, right? Um, just given the fact of all the things I, I just mentioned. And then they have Miami on Tuesday night, also at home uh, in a back-to-back situation. Miami will be without Jimmy Butler, I assume. Uh, he's dealing with a death in the family, which obviously thoughts to Jimmy on that and I don't expect Butler will be playing in that game um it, they've seen the heat a couple times this year I think they've they swept the heat this year uh they have an opportunity to I don't know if they have a fourth game against Miami but they've played them a couple times you know in the Griffin era obviously Doc is familiar with what Eric Spolster wants to do this won't be anything new uh for the Bucks. Uh, but it, those games are always close. And yeah, to the Bucks' disadvantage, they will be coming off a Denver game that will likely be a fight. Yeah, the Bucks did play them twice. They played them in the in-season tournament and they played them at home earlier in the year. And this will be the last matchup between the Bucks and Heat. And the Heat have kind of been up and down. They were actually playing better, you know, before that Boston game. And they, they hung in there against the Celtics. They lost, but they were right in that basketball game. Uh, they've so they've played somewhat better recently, um, but they haven't necessarily you know 
got sort of that hot run where it's like, okay, here comes he, kind of what we just mentioned with the Warriors. So, you know, can the Bucs sort of deliver that against Miami and sort of get one or, one or two of these wins? I, I mean, would I love to get on like a four-game winning streak to finish off the All-Star break? Absolutely. That would be best-case scenario. I think medium-case scenario, scenario that I'd be fine with, would be taking one or two from Denver, Miami, beating Memphis on Thursday, you know, taking care of business, you know, not necessarily like playing with your food against the Memphis team that, you know, is just probably looking forward to the all-star break, right? Um, they haven't had Jared, I don't know if Jaron Jackson's back playing uh, with them, but he, Memphis has been sort of a tire fire again. Like they, at one point it looked like, all right, okay, Memphis has, sort of like figured out what they have and they're sort of putting it all together, but they had just lost to Charlotte the night after the Bucks kicked the Hornets ass. Yeah, Jaron Jackson's back playing, but it sort of seems like they're just ready to sort of be done, you know, with this regular season. And yeah, they have that chance like, oh yeah, we could end could end it with beating the Bucs. And it is a TNT game for some reason. I don't know why. I also don't know why TNT didn't flex that out to Golden State, Utah. That is a much better basketball game, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but the TV for the NBA is goofy. I guess you have Golden State the night before. So can the Bucs just make sure to take care of business in that basketball game right before the break? And they are one of the only teams, you know, playing three games in this, you know, last week of the of the, the before the break and if they could go two and one that's fine i think we'll take that any day of the week if they go three and oh uh excellent right i think losing two straight to denver and miami and beating memphis would be okay i wouldn't it would be annoying right because you lose to two teams that are probably playoff teams and then you just beat charlotte and memphis and those are the only two teams you've beat really in the last two weeks and you've lost to every good team, you know, so far, except Dallas, I guess would be the only only one that you could say, all right, yeah, you beat Dallas, Memphis, or Dallas, Memphis, and Charlotte. That's not exactly a murderer's row, even though Dallas is playing a little bit better. Um, still, I, I, I would I would be a little disappointed at that. So certainly on the Bucks, um, certainly on them to sort of, how do, they do, how do they handle this week? How does Pat Beverly get integrated? You don't have Chris Middleton for this stretch of games. I don't think that's anything new to the Bucs. I think what's helping the fact offset Middleton, it's not, he won't produce, you know, what Middleton can do offensively, but Jay Crowder has started to kind of come to life a little bit. So I think having that is really important. I think AJ Green's minutes have been important. You know, will we see finally some Andre Jackson after, you know, a couple days of practice where Doc Rivers gets to look at these guys? I I would hope that maybe we get more more sort of Andre Jackson this week, but we'll just sort of have to see. But we'll be back tomorrow to recap that Denver game, talk about the brackets and see what that looks like uh, and where Marquette is and how far Wisconsin falls. Do we finally not have to worry about Wisconsin as a Final Four uh, situation? Uh, we'll, we'll see on that. And talk about Green Bay too. We'll have to mention uh, Green Bay. We had a great win against Youngstown. Uh, so yeah, we'll do brackets. We'll do Marquette. We'll do any sort of additional NFL fallout. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow and we'll see you then. All right, take care of everyone. Bye.